Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. All right, happy Easter, Redemption Church. Uh, For those of you that might be new or tuning in from outside of the city of Seattle, my name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the unique joy, honor, and privilege of sharing the good news of the gospel surrounding the resurrection of Jesus from the dead with you today. And so, again, if you're new and maybe you do live here in the city and you're joining us for the first or second time, uh, please send us an email at connect at redemptionseattle.com and we will follow up with you uh, because we do want to connect with you even during this time of social distancing and quarantine. And so today we are celebrating the resurrected Son of God from the dead. And it's not just our church or churches throughout the city of Seattle, but as you know, Christians all over the globe for 2,000 years have been gathering every Sunday to honor and celebrate and remember that we have been made new in Christ. And so if I were to ask you, what's the good news of the gospel? And you respond with, well, Jesus died for my sins, which is a common response. That's not entirely the gospel, though that's that's half of it. That's very important that Jesus died for our sins. But a dead Messiah is a dead Messiah. The, the, The good news of the gospel is that God did not leave his son dead in the grave, but resurrected him, triumphing over Satan, demons, death, hell, the wrath of God and everything that stood between us and our creator. That's what we're celebrating in the resurrection. And in a city like ours, you know, Seattle is one of the, we're part of the nun zone, N-O-N-E, the nun zone. So where in religious surveys, many, many people, majority of people will tick none. I don't have any religious affiliation whatsoever. In this part of the country, in this city, There are many naturalistic kinds of thinkers, meaning some sort of natural way of explaining away what we claim uh, as Christians to be true in the resurrection. And yet at the same time, I really believe, and the Christian response is, the, the burden of proof lies not as much on the Christian, but more on the naturalistic thinker to supply some kind of response to what we're saying in the in the resurrection um one common theory is what's known as the conspiracy like a conspiracy theory that is they'll object and say no no, the disciples must have stolen the body of jesus sometime over the easter weekend said oh he must have resurrected and ascended back but that wasn't possible because the gospels clearly say that the tomb was sealed shut and guarded so that such an event would not happen um, another uh, theory is what's called the hallucination hypothesis, which essentially says that after Jesus resurrected from the dead, everyone basically was hallucinating, thinking they were seeing something, but they really weren't seeing Jesus from the dead. But that can't be possible because when Jesus appeared, Jesus is recorded as appearing to upwards of 500 people at one given moment. And so 500 people don't hallucinate all at the same time and see the same thing. Or maybe it is in like Islam teaches the the swoon theory, that Jesus swooned. He didn't totally die, 
on the cross, but more or less passed out, was put in his grave and was resuscitated after a period of time. But he didn't actually die and resurrect. Yet the swoon theory doesn't, doesn't work because Jesus was actually pronounced dead by a professional Roman executioner. Um, furthermore, as we think about like, why do we trust in the, the validity of what we read in the New Testament about, the New Testament about Jesus's resurrection, there's a number of things that, that stand out. Uh, one stands out to me is that in Mark's gospel, when we read about the high priest, Mark leaves the high priest unnamed. Why is that important? Because Mark was writing at such an early date that he would just say, high priest. You don't actually have to say the name to people who are living at the time because they know that person by name. Um, another thing that stands out is the fact that in the first century, a woman's testimony was not considered valid. In fact, it's still not considered valid in many parts of the world. And yet the gospel writers go to great lengths to say the first people to proclaim the good news of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead were in fact women that had come to visit and, and uh, anoint Jesus's body at the burial site. So they go and they tell the apostles the good news and the gospel writers preserve the women's testimony. That was completely unheard of. So why would they do that? Because they were more committed to the truth than preserving social and cultural norms. Uh, when we think about when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, his family worshipped him as the son of God. What would it take for family to worship the, a, a family member as God himself? Probably the resurrection. Um, we think about like Paul's conversion, his testimony from going from a persecutor, a murderer to a church planter, an apostle writing the majority of the New Testament. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen through anything other than the, the resurrection and what the scriptures record that Jesus ascends and appears to Paul, changes his life. Uh, there's other things we need to think about too. Like the tomb of Jesus is not enshrined. So consider like Father Abraham. He was buried 4,000 years ago, Mount Hebron. Um, Buddha, he died in 483 BC. And his tomb is in, is in India to this day. Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, his, he died in 632 AD. And his tomb is enshrined in Medina. But Jesus, <laughs> if you take a tour... Uh, of the city of Jerusalem, if you ever have the opportunity to go, when you go to, quote, the burial site of Jesus, they'll say, this is where we think Jesus was buried. But we don't know for sure. There's a few options open. Why is that the case? Because Jesus was resurrected so quickly, there was no time to even enshrine the tomb itself. So good. So what I want to do is just for the next couple of minutes, walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses that Joanna read for us. Here's what Paul writes. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. 
if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So let me just mention a few things about this passage. First, Paul's writing to Christians, (laughs) Corinthian Christians, and says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. He's reminding Christians of the gospel. Why is that? Why is it so important that Paul would say, I need to to bring this up again to Christians? Don't Christians already know that? That Jesus is the son of God, died and rose from the grave, right? Why do they need a reminder? Here's why. Because the gospel is not only good for conversion. The gospel is the fuel and the tank for the entire Christian life. That we are to remind one another often, often, Reminds who is God? Who is the son of God? What has he done? And on and on that the gospel is the fuel in the tank for the entire Christian life. If you're struggling with doubt, you need the gospel. If you're struggling with walking in the light, you need the gospel. If you're struggling with holiness, you need the gospel. If you're struggling in your marriage, you need the gospel. If you're struggling with loneliness, you need the gospel. Wherever we find ourselves right now, we need to be reminded again of the gospel. So he says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel, the good news of God. And it says, I preach to you what you received and which you stand. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now listen to this. Verse three is so important. And it's really what I want to drive home today. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. First importance. You know, there's a lot of things in the news right now. Mainly one thing that we constantly are reading about in the news regarding the coronavirus and all that it's done to shake our world to its to its knees. Paul says, I want to I want to call attention and I want to remind you of the thing that is of utmost importance, the thing that is of first importance, the thing that is primary, the thing that is preeminent, the thing that you need more than anything right now is to know the gospel of first importance. Yes, there's a lot of things in the news that are scary. Yes, there's a lot of things that have changed. Yes, we are shaken. Yes, we have been battered. But Paul says, I want to remind you of the most important news. And so as you're scrolling through your phone and looking online and reading the headlines day after day after day after day, more news, more news, more news, more news. This is important. This is important. This is important. This is important. Paul says, listen, this is of first importance. This is the most important thing. It doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to the news. We simply read the news, the lowercase n news, in light of the capital N, good news of the gospel. It is of first importance. So redemption, I want to remind you today that of everything that we're reading in the news these days, the most important news is the ancient news and the ever so relevant news of Jesus and the gospel. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance What I also received, and here it is, the most important thing. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. 
That is Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Promised One, the one that fulfilled the entire Old Testament law, prophets, promises, all culminates in the perfect Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the Christ himself, the one through whom all creation came into being, the wisdom of God, Christ himself. What did he do? He died. He died. The Christ died. But why did he die? It says right here, for our sins. Christ died on behalf of us. Christ took our place. Christ did the great exchange in which he took on our sin in his death. He died for our sins under the wrath of God. That when Jesus died, it was not a mistake that when Jesus died, he was accomplishing redemption for you and for me. Every sin that you have ever committed, known and unknown, things that you have done and left undone, all were laid on Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. He took our sin upon himself, as Peter writes, and he, in his body, he bore our sins on the tree. You have an advocate, you have a mediator, you have a blameless substitute that died for all of your sins. And he did this in accordance with the scriptures. This is so important that when Jesus died, he died in accordance with the scriptures. This is what was prophesied about. This is what was promised that Jesus would do just this, that Jesus comes on the scene and fulfills the law and fulfills the scriptures. Even when Jesus was born, Mary was instructed by the angel, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Read at the end of Matthew's gospel. When Jesus is at the last supper, what does he say? This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures for your sins. You no longer bear the penalty for your sins. Jesus did. That's good news. More than that, it says, and that he was buried. Why is that important? Because Jesus himself identified with human beings all the way down to the darkest moment, death itself. And Jesus was buried. He did not merely attend a funeral. There was a funeral had for him. Jesus was buried. And that Jesus was raised in accordance with the scriptures on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, Jesus was raised. And here's the good news. Our king is risen. Our king is risen. And that's why we celebrate him again today. Jesus is alive. So we don't have to do good works in order to earn the resurrection. What could we possibly do? We don't try to maintain status as the sons and daughters of God through white knuckling, grinded out, miserable obedience. 
Our salvation is secure because our, our, our salvation is based on the object of our faith, Jesus and his glorious resurrection. Jesus was not merely revived. Jesus was not reincarnated. Jesus was resurrected, meaning he died and he's been brought back to life and life eternal, never to die again. That's the truth of the gospel. And why is that important for us today? Because that has implications on our lives here and now. Paul writes in Colossians, he says, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, the prototype, which means if he's the firstborn from the dead of many brothers and sisters, who's the brothers and sisters? That's us. So Jesus was the first to rise. And just as Jesus was the first to rise, we're coming after him. We will receive resurrected bodies like him and we'll see him as he is. That's what we're celebrating is that Jesus's resurrection is not just something we admire from afar, but it's something that we experience from within. That is good news. And it's good news for those of you that have known Jesus for 40 years, for 20 years, for 10 years, for one year. And it's also good news for your neighbors who may not have come to know Jesus yet. So redemption, I want to remind you again of the gospel. God loves you as you are and has made a place for you at his table in glory. Happy Easter. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.